Ashley Brock reading Diane Palmer's book Rogue Stallion, and you won't like this chapter because when I first read the book, I didn't like this chapter either. <sighs> chapter 8. Unfortunately, it was impossible for Jessica not to notice that McCollum's attitude toward her had changed since Sam Jackson's advent in town. Dan called her that evening or the next day, and when she was contacted by the sheriff's office because the child of one of her client's families, Keith Colson, was picked up for shoplifting, she wondered if he would have. She went to the sheriff's office as quickly as she could. McCollum was there as a resting officer. He was polite, not hateful, but he was so distant that Jessica hardly knew what to say to him. She sat down in a chair beside the lanky boy in the interrogation room and laid a person on the table. Why did you do it, Keith? She asked gently. I don't know. You were caught in the act. She pressed the wear of McCollum, standing quickly behind her waiting. The store owner saw you pick up several packages of cigarettes and stick them in your pockets. He said you even looked into the camera while you were doing it. You didn't try to hide what you were doing. He rested. I did it, okay? How about looking, locking me up now? He added to McCollum. This time, I wasn't an accomplice. This time, I'm the, what do you call it, the per per perpetrator. That means I do time, right? When are you going to lock me up? McCollum was scrowling. Something wasn't right here. The boy looked haunted, afraid, but not because he'd been caught shoplifting. He waited patiently for McCollum to show up and arrest him, and he climbed into the back of the pro car almost eagerly. There was one other disputing thing. A fading bruise, a big one, was visible beside his eye. I can't do that yet, McCollum. We call the juvenile authority. You're underage, so you'll have to be turned over to them. Juvenile, not again, but I wasn't accomplished. You know I did it. I did it all by myself. I shouldn't have to go back home this time. I kind of hitched up his slacks <sighs> sat down on the edge of the table facing him. Why don't you tell me the truth? He invited him. I can't help you if I don't know what's going on. Keith looked as if he wanted to say something, as if he was eating him up and inside not to be. But at the last minute, his eyes lowered. Nothing to tell, he said gruffly. There's a chance that they might keep me isn't there. The juvenile hall, I mean, like, no, you'll be sent home after they've done the paperwork and your hearing's scheduled. Keith's face fell. He sighed and wouldn't say another word. McCollum could remember seeing that particular expression on a younger's face, the youngster's face, only once before. It had been on his own face the night the doctor set the arm his mother had broken. It had to get to the bottom of Keith's situation, and he knew he couldn't do that by talking to Keith or any of his family. There had to be another way, a better way. Perhaps he could talk to some people at Keith's school, someone they might know more than he did, and be able to shed some light on the situation for him. Just going out to see Keith's father and grandmother, Chip McCollum might offer to go with her, but he left as soon as Keith was delivered to the juvenile officer. It was too obvious that he found Jessica's company distasteful, probably because Sam Jackson had been filling his head full of half-truths. If he'd only come out and accused her of something, she could defend herself, but how could she make any sort of defense against words that weren't left unspoken? Terrence Carlson was not surprised to hear that his son was in trouble again. I knew the boy was up to no good. He told Jessica Boomer, takes after his mother, you know. She ran off with the salesman and dumped him on me and his grandmother years ago. Never wanted him in the first place. He sounded as if he felt the same. God knows I've done my best for him, but he never appreciates anything at all. He's always talking back, back trouble. I'm not surprised that he stole things, no, sir. Did you know that he smoked? Jessica asked deliberately, curious, because the boy's grandmother stayed conspicuously out of sight. I knew 
and never even came out to the porch when Jessica knew she heard the truck drive up. Sure, I knew he smoked, Terry said. He, I wouldn't give him money to throw away on cigarettes. That's probably why I stole them. That was a lie. Jessica knew it was because McCullman offered the boy a cigarette in the sheriff's office and refused it with a grimace. He said that he didn't like cigarettes, although he quickly co corrected that and said that he just didn't want one at the moment. But there was no nicotine stains on his fingers, and he certainly didn't smell tobacco. It told him to send him home. Now, as soon as they get finished with him, Terrence told Jessica firmly, I got work today around here, and it's, and he's needed. They can lock him up. They won't, she assured him. They can't lock him up. They won't, she assured him. But he won't tell us anything, not even why he did it. Because he needs cigarettes, that's why. The man said uncontroversially. Jessica understood why McCollum had been suspicious. The longer she talked to the boy's father, the more curious she became about the situation. She asked a few more questions, but he was unforthcoming as Keith himself had been. Eventually, she got up and leave. I'd like to say hello to Mrs. Colson, she Oh, she's too busy to come out, he said with careful indifference. I'll give her your cards, though. Yes, you do that. Jessica smiled and held out her hand deliberately. As Terrence reluctantly took it, she saw small bruises on his knuckles. He was right-handed. If he hit someone, it would be with the hand she was holding. She didn't remark on the bruises. She left the porch, forming a theory that was very disturbing. She wished that she and McCollum were on better terms because she was going to need his help. She was sorry she hadn't listened to him sooner. If she had, perhaps Keith wouldn't have another shoplifting charge on his record. When she got back to her office, she called the sheriff's office and asked them to have McCollum drop by. Once he would have stopped in the middle of whatever he was doing to oblige her. But today it was almost quitting time before he put in a belated appearance, and he didn't look happy about being summoned either. She had to pretend that it didn't matter, that she wasn't bothered that he was staring holes through her with those angry dark eyes. She forced a cool small smile to her lips and invited him to sit down. I had a long talk with Keith's father, she said once. He says that Keith smokes and that's why he took the cigarette. Boom, he said coolly. I know. I didn't notice any nicotine stains on Keith's fingers, but I did notice some bruises on Terrace's knuckles and a faded bruise near Keith's eye, she added. Observing, are we? He asked with thinly mouthed. You're the one who said there was nothing wrong at Keith's house, as I recall. She said back happily and Yes, I was. I should have listened to you. The thing is, what can we do about it? His father isn't going to admit that he's hitting him, and Keith is too loyal to tell anyone about it. I even thought about talking to old Mrs. Coulson, but Terrence won't let me near him. Unless Keith volunteers the information, we have no case, McCombs. The district attorney isn't likely to ask a judge to issue an arrest warrant on anyone's hunch. Adam. Meanwhile, he's desperate to get away from him, away from home, even to the extent of landing himself in jail to accomplish it. He won't stop until he does. I know that. Then do something, she said. What do you have in mind? She threw a prince. How do I know? I'm not in law enforcement. His eyes narrowed accusing No, you're in social work and you take your job very seriously, don't you? It was a point of remark. Unmistakably, she sat up straight with her hands locked together. On her culture desk, and said to him, Go ahead, get it off your chest. All right, he said with all reason. You can't have a child of your own. She expected to be confronted with some of the old gossip with anything except this. Her face paled. She couldn't even explain it to him, or I spell. You told him all I needed to know. Did you ever plan to tell me? He asked, I said, Or wasn't it any of my business? She stared at the small print. At the bottom of the correction fluid until she had it memorized. I thought 
We weren't serious about each other, so it wasn't necessary to tell you. He didn't want her to know how serious he started to feel about her. Made him too vulnerable. Cross one little leg over here. Now about the court trial. Yeah. Weren't you going to mention anything about it either? I swear he hoped it is. You must surely realize that Sam Jackson isn't anyone's idea of an unbiased observer. It was his brother. Naturally, he'd think it was all my fault. Wasn't it? He asked coldly. You did go out to the man's house all alone, didn't you? That remark was a slap in the face. <sighs> she got to her feet. I don't have to defend the decision I made years ago to you. You have no right to accuse me of anything. I wasn't aware that I had. Do you feel guilty about what happened to Jackson's brother? I have nothing to feel guilty about. She said with as much pride as she commanded. Given the same circumstances, I do exactly what I did again, and I take the consequences. <laughs> Including costing a man his family, submitting him to public humiliation, and eventually to what amounted to suicide. So that was what Sam had been telling people. They just get driven the man to death. She said, if you care about people, she said, right, you believe them. If you don't, all the words in the world won't change anything. Sam should have been a lawyer. He really has a gift for influence and opinion. He certainly tarred and feathered me in only two days. The truth usually comes out, doesn't it? He counters with influence. You don't know the truth. Not that it matters anymore. She was hard to Pulled her files toward her. If you'll excuse me, Deputy McCollum, I've already got a day's work left to finish. I'll have another talk with Keith when the juvenile officers bring him back to the sheriff's office. You do that. He got up, fears because she wouldn't offer him an explanation and apology for keeping him there. You might have told me the truth in the beginning. He had an angry Well, we all have our scars. Mine are such that it hurts to take them out and look at them. She left two wounded dark eyes. I can't even have babies, she said simply. Now you know, originally, you would have... You would have, because I never had any intentions of letting a relationship go that far. You were the one who kept pushing your way into my life. You just left me alone. She stopped, bitting her lower lip, stifled the painful words, turned a sheet of paper over to the front. Sam Jackson's brother got what he deserved, McCollum, and that's the last thing I'll ever say about it. He stood watching her for a minute before he finally turned and went out. He walked aimlessly into the outer office. She was right. He was the one who pursued her, not the reverse. All the same, she might have told him the truth. Hi, McCollum. Bess called to him from her desk, smiling sweetly. Paused on his way out and smiled. Hi, yourself. She gave him a look that could have melted ice. I guess you and Jessica are too thick for me to try my luck, hmm? She asked Mark Sar. Will you fucking stop coming up behind me? You're supposed to be sleepy. Sorry about that interruption. My husband scared the shit out of me. He lifted his chin and his dark eyes simmered as he looked at her. Jessica and I are friends, he said, refusing to admit that they were hardly even that anymore. That's all. Well, in that case, why don't you come over for a supper tonight and I'll feed you some of my homemade spaghetti. She asked something. Then we can watch that new movie on cable. You know, the one with all the warnings on it? She added suggestively. She was pretty and young and obviously had no hang-ups about being a woman. He pursed his lips. It had been a long dry spell, although something in him resisted, resisted dating a woman so close to Jessica. On the other hand, he told himself Jessica had lied to him. And what was it to her if he dated one of her employees? What time? He asked gruffly. She went six sharp. I live next to Tremaine Haynes. You know where his house is, don't you?
you know. Well, I ran his furnished cottage. It's very cozy, and old Truman goes to bed real early. <laughs> Knows him now. He <laughs> she went, yes, indeed. Then all three and six, he winked and walked out, still feeling a twinge of guilt. But I struck her hand in Jess's office just before she left. McCollum said that you and he was just good friends, and you keep saying the same thing to me. So is it alright if I try my luck with him? Jessica was dumbfounded, but she was adept at hiding her depths, deepest feelings. She forced him off. Why, of course. Best let off. Thank goodness. I invited him over for supper. I didn't want to step on your toes, but he is so sexy. Thanks, Jessica. See you tomorrow. She closed the door quickly, and a minute later, Jessica heard her go out. It was like a door closing on life itself. She hesitated just briefly before she turned her eyes back to the file she was working on. The print was so blurred that she could hardly read it. Wynorm was small, and as in most small towns, everyone knew immediately about McCollum's supper with Bess. They didn't know that nothing had happened, however, because Bess made enough innuendos to suggest that it had been the hottest date of her life. Jessica was hard-pressed not to snap at her employee, but she couldn't let anyone know how humiliated and painful the experience was to her. She had her pride, if nothing else. Sam Jackson heard about the date and laughed heartily. Originally, he planned to spend only one night in Whitehorn, but he was enjoying himself too much to leave in a rush. A week later, he was still in residence at the small motel, having breakfast every morning at the cafe across from Jessica's office. Jessica was near breaking point. People were gossiping about her all over again. She became impatient with her caseworker and even with clients, which, which was unlike her. She couldn't do anything about Sam Jackson. Certainly, McCollum wasn't going to. He seemed to like the man. They seemed like Bess as well because he began to stop by the office every day to take her to lunch. I'm leaving now, Bess said at noon on Friday, and she, and she hesitated and from the corner of her eye. Jessica saw her looking at her in concern. No wonder, since to her own eyes she looked pale and drawn. In fact, she was hardly eating anything and was on the verge of moving out of town. Desperation had cost her the cool reason she'd already always prided herself on. You have a nice lunch. She told Bess, refusing to look up because she knew Sterling McCollum was standing in the outer office waiting. Bess still hesitated. She felt so guilty she couldn't stand herself lately. It was painfully obvious how her boss felt about Sterling McCollum. It was even more obvious now that McCollum was taking Bess out. She hated being caught between the two of them, and it was shocking to see how Jessica was being affected by it. Bess had a few bad moments remembering how she embroidered their date, those dates with McCollum to make everyone in the office think, they had a hot relationship going. Jessica was unfailingly polite, but she treated Bess like a stranger now. It was painful to have the old, pleasant friendliness apparently gone from, for good. Jess never looked into her eyes. She treated her like a piece of furniture, and it really hurt. Bess couldn't even blame her. She asked for permission to go out with McCollum, but she knew even when Jessica gave it to her that the other woman cared deeply about him. She was ashamed of herself for putting her own infatuation with McCollum over Jessica's feelings. Not that it had done her any good, McCollum was fine company, and once he kissed her with absent affection, but he couldn't have made it more obvious that he enjoyed being with her only in a casual way. On the other hand, when he looked at Jessica, there was real pain in his eyes. Can't I bring you back something? Jessica, you look so... I'm fine, Jessica said slowly. I have a virus. I've lost my appetite. That's all. Please go away. Bess grimaced as she closed the door, and the concern was still on her face when she joined McCollum. 
Seeing Jessica, too, in the brief time while her office door was open, he wanted to show her that he didn't care, that he could date other women with complete indifference to her feelings, but it was backfiring on him. He felt sick as he realized how humiliated she must be to have him date one of her own co-workers. It wasn't her fault that she couldn't bear her child. After all, she was right. He'd never acted as if he had any kind of permanent relationship in mind for the two of them. He was still trying to find reasons to keep her at arm's length. He admitted finally. He was afraid to trust her, afraid of being hurt if he gave his heart completely. He believed Sam Jackson because he wanted to, but now as he thought about it rationally, he wondered at his own gullibility. Was he really so desperate to have Jessica out of his life that he believed a total stranger? A biased total stranger before he even asked Jessica for her version of what had happened. Sam Jackson had been having lunch in the cafe too and stopped by McCallop's table to exchange pleasantries with him and Beth. Sheriff Hensley drove by in the patrol hall and saw him in the window. Later that afternoon, he invited McCollum into his office and closed the door. I heard Sam Jackson's been in town six days, he said, Clark. What's his business here? And he's just passing through McCollum's. And McCollum was puzzled. Wasn't like his boss to be so interested in strangers. And visited town. And he's just passing the time of the day as well, I guess. Hence, he folded his hands together on his desk. He's the sort who holds grudges. I've heard some talk I don't like. It was a close trial, but a lot of gossip got out anyway. Fred's wife and daughter left town as soon as the verdict was read. But Jessica had nowhere to go except here. Fred, of course, gave her a rough time of it. Maybe he had reasons to. Call him to his court. Hence, he put the paper clip down to look at You listen to me. He said coolly. Jessica did nothing except try to help his wife and child. Fred was a cocaine addict. He liked to bring his friends home at night while his wife was working at the hospital. One night, he was so high that he beat his daughter and she ran away. It was Jessica who took her in and comforted her. It was Jessica who made her mother face the fact that she was married to an addict and that she had to get help from them. Jessica was told, probably by your buddy Sam, that Fred had forced Clarissa, his daughter, to go back home with him. That's why she went out there that day. He attacked Jessica instead, and she barely got away in time. McCollum didn't say a word. His complexion paled just a little, but her pains, because the cool child was in the judge's chambers and not publicized for Colossus's sake, Jessica took the blunt brunt of the gossip. All anyone heard was that Jessica had always got almost gotten raped. It was the talk of the town. Everyone she went. Thanks to Sam Jackson, she was pointed out and ridiculed as the girl who led poor Fred on, then yelled rape. She took it for Clarissa's sake until her mother could get another job and they could leave town while Fred was safely in jail. You didn't tell me that, McCollum said to Sam Jackson hated Jessica. He was on the city council. He had influence and he used it. But time passed and Sam left town. It didn't end there, however. Fred got out of jail in six months and came after Jessica. He was killed in a wreck, all right, the sheriff stated. He was out for vengeance that day. He was patrolled and was chasing Jessica in his car, high as a March kite, until he ran off a clip in the process. He would have killed her if he hadn't. McCall felt cold chills down his spine. Can picture the scene all too easily. Jessica survived, Hensley continued shortly, and McCall barely registered the odd phrasing. She held her head up. 
and those of us who know the truth couldn't have admired her more. She suffered enough. I didn't realize Sam Jackson was even in town until I happened to see him this morning, but he won't be here any longer. I'm going to give him a personal escort to the county line right now. He stood up, grabbing his hat, and for what it's worth, I think you're petty to start dating Bess right under Justice's nose on top of everything else. She doesn't deserve that. But come on, Gothersfield. I'd like to have a word with Jackson before you boot him out of town. Hensley recognized the deputy's expression too well to agree to what McCollum was really suggesting. You believed him without questioning what he said, Hensley reminded him. If there's fault, it's as much yours as his. You aren't to go near him. McCollum's thin lips pressed the ringer. He had no business coming here to spread more lies about her. You know business listening to them, came the merciless reply. Learn from the experience. There are always two sides to every story. You got enough work to do. Why don't you go out there and act like a deputy sheriff? McComb reached for his own. I don't feel much like one right now, he said. I've been a fool. Hard times teach us hard lessons, but they stay with us. Jessica isn't judgmental, even if you are. McComb didn't say another word, but he had his reservations. He'd hurt her too much. He knew before he even asked that she might forgiven but that she'd never forget the things he said to her in the chapter eight.